What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Shooting the Breeze. I'm Cody. And I'm Sawyer. And we're just two guys shooting the breeze. And I have like a very good story. You've been telling me it's weird. It, it's weird. It's mysterious. It's, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I like it. I like it a lot. And this is why you're anxious. Yeah, maybe. This story. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what I got going right now. But this story right here, it's, I don't know. I always like, uh, like my favorite type of movies is like humor comedy. Or not humor comedy. Uh, comedy. Just say Knives Out. Knives Out. Literally. Just say Knives Out. <laughs> literally any movie like Knives Out, like Clue or anything yeah. like that. I, or uh, what's that new one? It was like Knives Out. Like, uh, oh, Glass Onion. Yeah, Glass Onion. Orient Express. Yes. Like, uh, that one was mid. But I liked it though. It was, it was a lot too of good serious. It, wasn't, it didn't have enough comedy for me. Yeah, I guess. But anyway, so I have a story coming to you and it's called The Summerton Man. And it's a very weird, mysterious, true crime. Summerton Man. Um, and I, as you can see, we're kind of coming off Sawyer doing his last week with the Green River Killer. And now I'm bringing us one, um, a true crime case about this mysterious Summerton Man. And I'm, I'm psyched about it, honestly. I think <laughs> you're going to, and I want to hear your theories about it at the end of it. Because right, it's going to throw you for a loop. And you're going to like it and you're not. I feel like I was all over Cassidy, so I feel like I got this one. Yeah, I, I think you're going to like it. But yeah, you ready? All right, let's go. Let's dive on in. All right, so the Summerton Man. And I'm just going to dive into the story, everything that I know and that I collected on the story. and. We're just going to break it down, right? All right, break it down. So our story begins on the afternoon of November 30th, 1948. It's a while ago. This is a little while ago, November okay? November 30th, 1948. 1948, a little right, right past World War II a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but something else was important. We're coming into the Cold War. We just backed off World War II. We're kind of in this gray area, right? So this is in Adelaide, Australia, right? Now, this, this story starts on Somerton Beach. Okay. Okay. Hence, Summerton Man. Makes sense. If I had to guess. Yep, that's where it'd be, (laughs) right? So, there was a couple strolling down this beautiful beach called Summerton Beach at around 7 p.m. on November 30th, 1948. Keep that in mind. November 30th, 1948. Got it. So, as they're walking down this beach, they notice a man dressed in a nice suit who's lying against a seawall. Okay? He was smoking a cigarette, and he kept, like, straightening his arm out in front of him like holding the cigarette out in front of him and then just dropping his arm limp. And he'd keep doing it, take a puff, arm out in front of him, dropping it limp. Now, they're passing by and they're just like, yeah, this guy's hammered or something like that. He's just sitting here watching the sunset. You know, they're just like, they just blow it off. Now, another couple comes walking down that same beach about 7.30 to 8 p.m., about a half an hour to an hour later. Okay. And they see the same guy lying against the seawall. This time his eyes are closed though, right? He's just sitting there. looks like he's sleeping, right? And this couple assumed that the man was drunk and that he passed out, but they were surprised that the man didn't wake up because there was like a lot of mosquitoes around his face. And right. he, like, you know, even if you're like in a deep sleep and something's like crawling on your face, you'd like swat at up. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, can we clear, can I, for my stupid self, what? seawall, are you See, talking about the wooden things that they put up that the waves crash against? Uh, I, I think a seawall is like an actual, like, uh, it's like a concrete wall that runs off the beach into the ocean. Okay. Um, I just need some sort of visualization. Yeah, that's what, that's what I think of when I think of a seawall. I've only seen like a couple of them. It has nothing to do with the story at all, probably. But. No. Oh, no, this is, okay, a structure separating land and water areas. So it's kind of like on the bank. Okay. And it's like, uh, 
dang, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. It's like, hmm, I don't really know how to explain it. I can show you this picture. Let me look. Yeah, come over here. That's a seawall, right? Can you explain that any better? It's like, instead of beach, it's just like a concrete wall to keep the waves from splashing up there. That makes sense? Alright. But I think in this story specifically, a seawall is, it's basically a concrete wall that runs down the beach, like down the beach parallel into mm -hmm. the ocean. Um, and I've only seen a couple of them because my brother like busted his knee on one of them <laughs> before, like bad, like gashed yeah. it because he didn't even see it because the tide was in. So anyways, now that we clarified but okay, yeah, just in my mind, I was like, if he's on the seawall, he's literally getting pelted by water. That's all I could think the whole time you're telling me. So I, I would, the only way I could think of it is he's leaning against the seawall and the tide is out. And so okay. the water's not touching him. Gotcha. So, so yeah, the, the second couple walks back there. They see him still laying against the seawall and he's got like mosquitoes all around his face, but he's not doing anything. So they just figure, hey, the guy's sleeping, whatever. Now, the morning after, which was December 1st, 1948, someone had saw the man still laying on the seawall, and they reported it to the police. They're like, this little sketch. So when the police got to the beach, they found the man and confirmed he was dead. Okay. Now, when an autopsy is performed on this man, they determined that he died around 2 a.m. So between November 30th and December 1st, about 2 a.m. in the morning is when he died. And the autopsy is where this story starts to get a little weird. Okay. okay? So now the man appeared to be British, right? And he was 5'11", okay. green eyes, broad shoulders, narrow waist. Stud. Oh, sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, he's clean shaven. His nails seem clean and cut, which kind of points to the fact so that- So not homeless is what we're getting No, at. no, not homeless. Didn't do any manual not labor. Nothing like that. And I, I put this in here because it was funny. They noted this. They said he had large calves and big feet with toes that were pointed which indicated he wore some kind of shoe or boot. And they say because of the big calves, they think it, he was wearing high heels a lot or ballet dancing shoes or something like that or uh, tap shoes or something with a pointed toe but a high heel. Or a dancer. Or a dancer, right. So No, want... that makes total sense. Tight waist, broad shoulder. Yeah, it's dancer, ballet. All right, take that, take that right. as you will, okay? So... As I said before, he was wearing a nice suit that re resembled American-style tailoring. The, uh, the coroner even said that. He was like, this isn't from around here. Mm -hmm. Now, the suit had a small tear within one of the pockets. But he was British, just to be... He was British. They said he had a, a British... I don't know what a British look is, but they said he looked British. Nose, teeth. Yeah, probably something like that. Sorry to me. Stereotypical. I, they didn't hear his accent. It was a little <laughs> past that point, but... So the suit had a small tear within one of the pockets, and it was stitched with, like, some orange thread, right? Okay. Now, the weird thing about all his clothes is that within his clothes, none of them had tags, as if they were purposely cut out of the clothes. Okay. So no tags whatsoever. Additionally, all he had in his pockets were cigarettes from an army club, okay. matches, a pack of Juicy Fruit gum, a used bus ticket, two hair combs, and an unused train ticket. Okay. He didn't get the chance to use it. Gotcha. No wallet, no identification, no money. Nobody okay. knows who this guy is. Now, when they examined the man's body itself, they noticed that his heart was completely fine, meaning didn't have any kind of heart attack. Right. They also didn't notice any indication that the man had been in like a physical altercation, like any kind of fight or anything. Okay. Or, uh, no water the, in his lungs. Nothing no like no water in his lungs, nothing like that. Like He seemed perfectly healthy, except the coroner did find that he had eaten a pastry 
like when he went to go uh, examine his stomach, mm-hmm. he had an eaten pastry and blood in his stomach. Now, this usually indicates that he ingested some type of poison. Right. But when they go to test the pastry itself, there's no poison on it. Okay. And they can't find any trace of poison in his system. Okay. So, the city coroner, Thomas Erskine Cleland, that's a name, stated that there was no indication of violence, and I'm compelled to the finding that the death, death resulted from poison. He continued to say, but I cannot say whether it was ministered by the deceased himself or by, if somebody else gave him the poison. Mm-hmm. So, Sir C- uh, Cedric Stanton Hicks, who's, a, who's another coroner, said that it was a very rare poison that had been used, one that de- decomposes very, very early after death and okay. leaves no trace. Okay. And the only uh, poisons capable of doing this are super dangerous and super deadly, and they're not even known. So, like, when Hicks was telling us about this poison, yeah, he was in a courtroom talking about it, and he, he, he wouldn't even say the poisons out loud. He wrote them down on a piece of paper and handed them to the coroner. And now, uncovered, we know the two poisons were uh, strophothethine okay. and glycoside. So Hicks suspected that it was the first one, strifothethine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that's a rare poison derived from the seeds of some African plants. And historically, it was used by a little-known Somali tribe to poison their arrows. So this is a poison that's, like, super rare. This isn't, right. like, Probably something nowhere. you just go, yeah, pick up at the drugstore. Like, this is pretty rare stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this guy died from that, kind of yeah. weird. So they also couldn't find his dental records in any of their systems, which, granted, it is 1948. Right. Everything's paper. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to find that. And obviously, DNA is not a thing yet, so they couldn't run his DNA. Yeah, even autopsy. It's like, how much all were they pulling yet from autopsies? Right. So, th- so there really wasn't much to go on to find this man. So these the police are dumbfounded, right? They bring in people to see if they can like identify the guy. They check all the missing persons reports to see if any of them match the man's description. But no one or nothing can identify this man. They didn't look at the bus ticket and try to... So this is what they're about to do. (laughs) So the police move to a different approach and start checking around different areas to see if they can find any belongings the man might have. Because it's kind of hard to believe that this mysterious man comes out of nowhere, dies on a beach Mm -hmm. from this super rare poison, and doesn't have any belongings to show for himself. So they assume it's poison even though they... There's no trace of poison in his body. So the reason that there's no trace of the poison is because it it makes them indicate that it is poison that's non-traceable. So like the fact that they couldn't find the poison in their system but could see the symptom of blood pooling in his stomach, it gave them like an indication that it, it dropped it down to these two different poisons that it could have been because there was no trace and it left a symptom of blood in the stomach. So like... So, like, a lot, like, and it was a hypnotic. I don't know how they could tell that, but it, they figured out it was a hypnotic, and it, like, it, like... Hypnotic or a hallucinogen? Hypnotic hallucinogen? is what the... Yeah, that's what they said. It was a hypnotic, which that, I guess, in 1948, and hypnotic's probably a hallucinogen nowadays is what we call Maybe. it, so... Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, so they, they kind of narrowed it down to these two poisons, and they said, most likely, it's this one. So... So yeah, the police start going to, for this different approach, and they want to find anything that might have belonged to this man anywhere they, they can find it. So they start searching, and they find something on the 12th of December. So this is about close to two weeks now after they had found the man. And they found it at Adelaide Station. And what they found was a briefcase. 
that was checked into the bus station on November 30th. Okay. Okay. Checks out. The day before the man was found. The bus station clerks couldn't remember anything about the person who checked in the briefcase. Obviously, they probably see tons of people every day. There's no timestamps on... No, I don't, I don't think they're like that yet. But after police reviewed the contents of the briefcase, they had a good hunch that it, it, was, it belonged to our mysterious man, right? The br- briefcase had all of its tags and markings removed. And inside, there were clothes with all the tags removed except for three items of clothing. And they didn't specify what tags were on the item of clothing. <clears throat> but one of them did have a name called T. Keen. So T. K. E. A. N. E. But okay. police believe that someone purposely put that to throw them off because mm-hmm. they couldn't. Like, how are you going to. There's a piece of clothes with T. Keen on it. How are you going to ever match that up to anybody? Right. So. But police believe that someone purposely threw the, did that to throw their name off or to throw them off the track. Right. There was also a stencil kit that is usually used by officers of merchant ships for stenciling cargo. I don't know what that means, but I think it's like basically uh, something they use to like identify cargo. Like they stencil certain ones. I'm not sure. But he had yeah. that on him. Usually officers on like a cargo boat are the only people that have that. Okay. Kind of weird. He also had a knife and he had a, another coat that had the same American tailoring. Maybe he traveled during the war or something like that. That's how he had all this American stuff. Mm-hmm. And lastly, a reel of orange thread that matched the same stitching the man's pocket was stitched with. All right. But still, briefcase didn't say, didn't have a name in it no or anything like that. No so right. nothing to identify this mysterious man. So police call on a professional by the name of John Cleland, who was a professor of pathology at the University of Adelaide, okay. to examine the man's body and all of his belongings. Maybe he can find something they missed, right? Mm-hmm. And after many weeks of re-examining the man's belongings, John Cleland found a hidden pocket sewn in the man's trousers. And within this pocket was a small piece of ripped paper with the phrase, Tamam Shud. Now, Tamam Shud is a Persian phrase that means, it is ended or it is finished. Mm-hmm. Okay? Gotcha. The paper had been torn from a rare New Zealand edition of the, and forgive me, I don't know how to say this, the Rubiat of Omar Kiyom. Okay. <clears throat> it's a book. It's a poem book. Gotcha. They took this phrase that the man had, had in his pocket, the Tamash Shud, mm-hmm. as an indication that he committed suicide and that he was saying, this is the end, it is finished, it is ended. Right? Right. But even so... They still weren't any closer to figuring out who this man who is was. and yeah. why he had this little pocket with this little phrase in it, right? So at this point, it's May of 1949. It's been roughly five months since they first found the body. Right. And it's starting to decompose pretty badly. And police decide it's time to bury the body, even though they really didn't want to because that was the only piece of evidence. His body was literally... All they had. Yeah, yeah one of the few pieces of evidence that they had. But they reluctant reluctantly there you go. get it out Re- they reluctantly buried the man and i just wanted to note in the article it says for the next 30 years after the man had been buried someone came by the man's grave and left flowers but okay. nobody ever spotted who it was okay i just want to throw that in there so a little odd yeah okay it's nothing about this is like right right yeah they they definitely had uh people out at the gravesite at all times by then yeah, I mean, 100%. I don't 
But somebody was slipping in there and for 30 years went to that man's grave, even though nobody knew who he was, and left him flowers. Okay. Okay. So, back to 1948. Now it's July of 1948, and the police investigation has still not yielded any results, okay? So this is about six months after. 49. I'm sorry, 49, yeah. yeah. So this is 49 now, and police investigation has not yielded any results until a man walks into the police station with a copy of the Rubiat of Omar Kiyom. That's something you're ripped out of? Yep. Yeah. And, and he has a strange story to tell. Okay. The man explained that him and his brother-in-law, A, me and you, mm-hmm. went for a drive in a car that they kept in the parking lot near Somerton Beach. When they got into the car, they saw a copy of the book, but they both figured it was each other's and didn't say anything about it, put it in the glove box. So they got in the car. He thought it was yours. You thought it was mine. Right. We didn't bring it up. Threw it in the glove box, called it a day. Right. Right. Now, that book stayed there until they saw about this whole Somerton Beach man investigation in the newspaper, and he thought about the book. He goes back to his car. It's still in there, and he takes it to the police station. And guess what happens when they check the last page? Guess what's missing? The words, to mom, shoot. Right. Which is actually the very end of the book. It's the very last word in the, in the very end of the book. Okay. It's gone. Now, it had been ripped out, and the police took the book, and Detective Sergeant Lean took a close look at the book, and almost once he started looking at the book, he found yeah. indentions of a phone number. Like, it was written, like, like they wrote the, the phone number in a pen that had no ink in it, and he just left the indent on the book. So, we got The another. book cover? Yeah, the, book, the back of the book. The back of the book cover. Okay. So, they found it. And because you couldn't really see it, like looking at it, but when you look at it from the side, you could see the indent of a phone number. Or somebody used it as a wrote down right, on a right. piece of paper. Yeah, that's also true. Yep. So once they found this telephone number penciled in on the rear cover, they uh, guess they they call it up, dial it up. They dial it up, but it has no dial. Mm-hmm. Okay, of course, right? <laughs> but police Figures. found out that the number used to belong to a young nurse who lived near Somerton Beach. Okay. Now, police wouldn't release the lady's name, but they gave her a nickname, Justine. Don't know why they picked that name, but the, the lady didn't want her name released, so okay. they just said, Justine sounds good. Hold on, I gotta get a sip. Probably the one going to the gravesite. That coffee ain't bad. I never said it's it It's different. It is kind of watery. I don't know. Anyways, so Justine. Now, Justine says she gave the book to a man she had known during the war, and his name was Alfred Boxel. Okay. After hearing this, police were relieved to finally figure out the mystery man and who he was and put this whole investigation behind them. But there was a problem. When they went to track down the name Alfred Boxel, it didn't go to their dead mystery man, but instead a living young man in New South Wales. And even worse than that is that when police went to see Alfred, Alfred had still had the copy, the same copy of the book. Rubiat, Amma, whatever, yeah. that the nurse had given them. So they have no idea where the second copy of this book came from, mm-hmm. right? So again, police are back to square one. But Detective Sergeant Lean wasn't done yet, and he went back to, the investi- he went back to investigating the copy of the book that the young man and his brother-in-law had found. Right. When he further examined the book under ultraviolet light, he found five lines of jumbled letters, and the second line of letters have been scratched out. So, like, basically five lines of just mm-hmm. jumbled letters 
and the second line had been scratched out. Now, the police are lost. They have no idea how to crack this code or whatever. Right. So they send it to Navy intelligence to hopefully find some clue of what it meant. And guess what they found? What did they find? Nothing. All right. <laughs> they said they couldn't make anything of the code, and unfortunately, the case was put to rest. It's codes, you said. It's not names. No, it was, it was like letters and numbers, and it was like five lines of it. And they sent it to Navy intelligence. They couldn't figure anything out, and they put the case to rest. That's it. All right. Now, I, did wanna, I didn't want to leave you right there. So I did want to say there were a few interesting things about the case that happened w- as the case was going on and even afterwards that mm-hmm. not a lot of people were talking about. So first of all, it is known that in Australia, in Adelaide, there's a top secret base housed there. And I couldn't find the exact name, probably because it's top secret. Right. But supposedly it was an intelligence hub. Yeah. That, that, that's immediately what I started thinking. Right. Now, second thing, another man was found dead with the same book laying by his body when he was found. And again, couldn't find much details on it. Almost like it was on purpose. I couldn't find that. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody could find anything in the investigation or anything like on this second man who died in very similar circumstances with this book. And also this whole intelligence hub that's out here in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Obviously, nobody can really talk about it. So the third thing that this, this shocked me that this was neglected, but there was a piece of evidence that was neglected during the case. And it was a statement from a man that was on Somerton beach, November 30th, 1948. And he said he saw two men walking down the beach, but one of the men was being held up by the other. At the time, this did not seem that mysterious. The witness assumed that it was somebody carrying a drunken friend. So, it's kind of weird that this guy was just carrying this other person who mm-hmm. obviously couldn't stand or anything like that. Is that our Somerton man? Somebody poisoned him, dropped him off there, and then walked away? Or It's really weird, but I wanted to hear kind of like, what was your theory on it? What, what do you think happened with the Somerton man? Why, is his, why did he die from this rare poison? Why is all his tags cut out of his clothing? Why can't we find anything on him? Why does he have a little sewn pocket in his trousers with, a, you know, Tamam chewed? It's just a, so many weird things, even with the feet and the calves and everything like that. And I have a theory of my own. I do too. <laughs> but I want to hear what yours is. No, let me hear yours first, because I, I think we're probably thinking about the same thing. So I'm thinking, because this is around the wartime, right. I'm thinking double agent of some kind. Right. I'm thinking... That he knew some stuff during the war that happened. Mm-hmm. And I think he was part of a team or some kind of agency that needed to be deleted. Now that war's over, they need to be erased, right? Yeah. He's right next to this intelligence hub in Adelaide, Australia. Right. And I think he went to the beach. I think he ripped a heater, smoked him a cigarette, watched the sunset for the last time. Well, the first thing I thought is that when you said that about him taking a cigarette and holding it out in front of and then later you said the thing about it was poison my thought is that he's doing this and then he's looking to see if he if the poison's starting to kick in and like he shakes or something like that that's immediately what my brain goes to it's funny you say that because in the vest investigation another piece of evidence they neglected to test was the cigarette that he was smoking 
I was going to ask about that, and then I didn't. Because when they found him, the cigarette was just, like, laying, like, kind of on his neck. Like, he was mm-hmm. smoking it, or it was in his mouth, and it just fell out or something mm-hmm. like that. But, dude, I honestly believe, like, this guy was just some super important dude. Some kind of intel officer or some I kind of... I used to have this book, and it was all about... This, it was about the start of the CIA and a lot of different um, spies or agencies and stuff like that, intelligence agencies. Mm-hmm. Constantly. And like all the stuff you started talking about, I was like, that's all in this. I, I'll have to find this book. It's all these little tricks they used to use. One of the main ones is like poison. Like poison was a huge thing for right. how, either murdering or getting rid of themselves. I think there even is something in there about lacing their cigarettes in case they needed to kill themselves. You would ask like, can I at least smoke a cigarette? And then you, you would, it would off you. That makes sense because, I mean, they said it was like a hypnotic. That's what I'm saying. A bunch of, bunch of stuff. I was like, all the cutting, when they would take people out, they would cut tags and every stuff out of it. Modifying clothes. There's a whole section in this book on that, how they would do that. That's what I'm telling you. That, I, it, that's exactly it what it sounds like. It gives me real like. like CIA or I don't think MI6 was a thing then. No. But it gives me those, well, it gives me those vibes. You no, know, MI, so it's in the same book. It talks about George Washington. Before he was president, was a what? master spy. Yeah, it's crazy. Like okay. it's they it it wasn't MI six yet, which that's the British intelligence. This is Australia. Yeah, I guess it might fall under the same thing. But if he was British, that would make sense. But the um, the CIA has been around forever. I don't know if it's always been called the CIA. I think it was a secret agency, and then they were right. like, "Okay, we got yeah, we got there's stuff in there." It was either before he was president or after he was president. He he was considered a master spy, which is like you're pretty high up there, right? Well, yeah, I would think, because, like, I mean, I don't think the CIA was a thing until, like, the full, I think it was the 50s or 60s, but, you know, I think, I'm I'm sure they've been around a lot longer than that, and then the government said, dang, we're giving these people a lot of money, and we need an excuse to say where it's going, so we're going to make the CIA, but. Well, just the fact that immediately, as soon as they send it to the Navy intelligence, they're like, it's nothing, we found nothing, drop it. Yeah, it's stop like, All right. looking into this. Yeah, it's just kind of like. But in my mind, it just makes, like, this guy, first of all, I will say, I know he's dead, but this guy sounds like he was, like, it. Like, he was, he was the guy. Yeah, you don't mess with him. Because, like, I feel like he just took himself out on his own means, sitting on the sand, watching the sunset, smoking a cigarette. God, I'm trying to remember if there's even a thing about, like, ballet and stuff in that CIA book. Plus, somebody leaving this guy flowers for 30 years and nobody ever sees who, who did it. Like, this guy, I bet you this guy was important, but he was like a James Bond. Nobody like, was supposed to know he nobody, existed. Yeah, he was just a, a what's it called, um, a, burn, a burn notice or something like that. Uh, just a guy that goes out and does all this stuff, and nobody will ever know. It's supposed to always look like an accident. <laughs> what? The Central Intelligence Agency founded in September, on September 18th, 1947. All right. <laughs> You're telling me it was founded a year before this a guy died? A year before died. all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying he's CIA, but, no. it mean, but if, if we had the CIA by then, other people are definitely doing. Well, a lot of people thought that, and I, I looked into a lot of conspiracy theories about this guy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought he was a Russian spy because he was in a neutral, so this is after War II, so he's in Australia, which is, you know, we're coming up on the Cold War, right, between America and right. the Soviet Union. This guy's in a neutral zone in Australia. He's wearing American clothes, right? But he's still in the halfway bet- point to where he could just beam right up to uh, Russia, and so it's like I don't know. Plus the suitcase that they found with like 
just the most random stuff, no identification, like nothing. That's that's what's throwing me off. It's like, so I mean, I you would think with the American tailoring, right? That if you didn't want to be no, spies, never want to be noticed, right? You're supposed to just blend in, right? So why is he wearing American tailoring in, in anywhere near Britain? I I don't, and I don't know what you know about tailoring, but you would definitely stand out. The two, the difference between the two is pretty. But I feel like if you're not into tailoring or into wearing suits, you would never notice. You'd be like, oh, that's a nice suit. You would I, never notice unless you've been trained to notice it. Right. That's true. But the fact that that, that last statement that was, um, they didn't even look into about they saw him being dragged over there. I mean, that's another thing. Like, or they didn't know, they didn't know if it was him being dragged over there, but they, he saw two people. And one of the guys was walking, mm-hmm. the other one was hunched over him, trying to like stand up and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a weird story because it's like nothing makes sense, but I know there's something cool going on but in the background. There, I, it's, one, it's one of two things. It's either he was the spy and, I mean, they could have both been spies. Either he was the guy who finished the work or he was the last guy. And they had a of those codes, and those codes were people. Oh, and he was the last one, and they're just taking them out. out. Yeah, and that person, when he went down and went to go, uh, he bared down on that book to write the last note out, the last code or something like that. Right, and then whatever number. I mean, just it, it could go one of either ways. Definitely think it's something to do with spies and central intelligence. It's and, so yeah. Plus the Tamam shoot, all like, the all the weird stuff, and that's the thing. It is finished. Code words, yeah, sayings and stuff like that. Pulling from literature, poems. That makes. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's I, got. I think if you just like keep looking at it, it's just like more stuff keeps popping up. Like how, why. Why I, did, I need happen? to find that book because I'm telling you, it's a, like a lot of the things that you started saying, I was like, that's in that book. That's in that book. I mean, he sounds like a guy that doesn't want to be known. Like mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want anybody to know who he is. He checked a briefcase in, nothing well, in it. Doesn't want to be known or it on the flip side, he was murdered and nobody and the murderer doesn't want anybody to know who he was. That would also make sense. Murderer or if it was an agent who's taken out loose ends or whatever it is like that. That is true, yeah. But yeah, people that's, who know too much after the previous war. That's what I'm saying, especially right after World War II, when there was a lot right. of sketchy stuff going on that nobody really talks about. Right. I think this guy was a part of it, and they were like, "Oh, hey, the war's over. Y'all know too much. You got to get gone." Yeah. And I think maybe he tried to Either run. You got to kill yourself, or you're getting gone. And that's my thing. He had a train ticket that hadn't been used yet, like a train ticket for the future. So it's like. Maybe he was trying to get away from it all, like trying to like put put space between him and it, and he didn't even get the chance. The phone number. It they found out who the phone number went to. It went yeah, to that Justine woman. girl, that ju- that nurse, and she said she met a man during the war, and she gave him that book. But then they found that that book was that book belonged to Al- Alfred whatever, Box Boxel. So I don't know. There's something in there that is not clicking. I definitely think it's all spy stuff. That's what I would think. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only way to explain it. Is like because it's all it's all just weird stuff that is like only makes sense if you're in the know. And I'm not saying we're in the know, but I'm saying all right. There's a bunch of little bitty tiny details. Yeah, clean shaven, 
Yeah. His hands are pristine. Nails are pristine. Never didn't look like he did. He was homeless in a nice suit. American tailoring. Posh. That's the first. Like that's all I can. The ballet stuff. Posh. Like that's so weird. Yeah, with the the calves and the pointed toes and everything like mm-hmm. that. It's kind of weird because I don't think the shoes he was wearing when he was found dead were like pointed shoes. But they said it looked like he wore shoes that were pointed and had high heels often. That's why he had bigger calves and his toes were pointed. It's weird, dude. It's a weird story. But and you've seen all the stuff in like spy movies and stuff where usually ballet. I'm not just talking about freaking Black Widow and stuff, but like the reason they draw from stuff like that is because it happened. Right. Like they, the, um, you know, they would get people with no families, underprivileged you know, orphans, stuff like that. Yeah. And plus like uh, a lot of uniforms back then, like military uniforms, the shoes were like pointed shoes with a higher heel. So I don't know. Could have been some kind of military official and he got got. He got gone. But yeah, that's all I got for the Summerton, man. But when I read it, it kind of ticked me off because I was like, there's such a good story behind this and I wish I knew what it was. But we only get the little bits See, and we I get know, the crumbs. Like, that, like, surely it doesn't hurt anything now, so why can they not just release what it is? You know what I mean? Surely it doesn't have anything to do with what's going on right now. It doesn't trace all the way back. If they went to that extent to make sure this guy was never found, like, ever mm-hmm. identified, no way they're ever releasing any information on it. If they went that far, even if it's been 80 years. That's what I'm saying. It's irrelevant 70, 80 now, years. Right? Yeah. You would think. Why can they not just, like... Yeah. All right, here's what this was. Yeah. I don't know. God, I wish I had... Cl- so, man, piss me off. I want to join the military so bad. <laughs> I used to, like, as a kid, I wanted to be a spy. That's what I want. Not a James Bond spy. Like, I would read this book of what they actually did, and I was like, this stuff is so cool. I want to be a James Bond spy. Like, I mean, which don't we all, but that's kind yeah. of unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, that, yeah. What they actually do is kind of even cooler, to be honest. Yeah. It's scary, though. You yeah, got to have thick skin. Because you got to like, especially if you're like a double agent or something like that, and you have to talk to other people, like you have to be Not like. to bring up military again, because we've already talked about that, but uh, I had no idea what like army rangers were trained to do. Those guys are. They're bad boys. They are, yeah. He, I think I was watching Joe Rogan or something like that, and the dude was like, no, our guys are like trained, like we can go in and take over a government. Like we will have somebody put in power and be controlling the government, and you never even know we're there. Yeah. I was like, that's wild. Yeah. The things they can't do is a uh, much shorter list than the things they can <laughs> they do. Can do. Yeah. So anyway. those, those guys are hard. But yeah, I guess that's going to give us our, uh, our verse for this podcast. It gives us a verse? We got a verse out of this? No, no. We're, <laughs> about, to, we're about to give it. So the verse we have is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future that's a classic that's a good one hey, <laughs> that's a classic. oldie but a goodie you yeah, know what i'm saying that's a classic um yeah man so i <clears throat> and I, I know we talked about this whenever we talked about money right but i in nowhere in here does it say you know you have plans for yourself you have plans for yourself to prosper yeah. it's not your plans it's his plans right yeah, his will and his plans sound pretty good, you know. They said they're going <laughs> to prosper me, they're not going to harm promising. me. Yeah, they're going to give me hope and they're going to give me a future. And I feel like sometimes like I try to take my own life in my own hands and I'm like, yeah. 
my plans are better than his plans. Look, I got this. I've got this thing figured out. Yeah. yeah and, and most of the time I crash and burn when I try to do that. Yeah. Because it's like, it never I, works out. Is this verse really like started making sense or not even making sense, but like meant more. Have you seen that thing about they talk about how God sees time versus how we see time? I've heard something like that. Like God sees things beginning to end and everything in between where we can only see. Our we, we have no foresight, right? Right. And we, and then hindsight, we can't change anything. Mm-mm. It's, it's just hindsight. Yeah. So it's like. Really the only thing we can control is right now. Right. Versus what God can see and, you know. I mean, that's why it says, you know, I don't remember the exact scripture, but it's like, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has its own worries, you know. So I really feel like this kind of resonated with me because I'm like, man, I'm all the time trying to like take control of my own life, mm-hmm. like trying to, you know, white knuckle the steering wheel or, you know, hold on to the reins. And it's like, man, life goes so much smoother when you just let go and let him take over. Let go and let God. Hey, bro, do you not want me to prosper you and give you a good future right. and not harm you? Like, why are you trying to mess it up for you? For yourself. <laughs> I'm trying to help you out. You're trying to mess this up for yourself. <laughs> why are you doing that? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, uh, there's a lot of good bars in Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah was crazy. He, he was one of the... He's a I'm, prophet? Yeah, he's a prophet. Yeah. So, um, I'm not going to say he's one of the better prophets because, I mean, they're all pretty, pretty good. But, he, uh, yeah, he's got some good stuff in his. But, yeah, man. I, I guess my only takeaway from that is like, you're not in control. Stop no. trying to convince yourself you're in control because you're not. Just and if you are, or think you are, it's not gonna go well. Yeah, because most of the time when you have some kind of problem, some kind of obstacle, some kind of trial, or something like that, the best thing is not to how can I handle this on my own, but to like just pray, just be like, hey God, mm. kind of need you to get in here, give it to Him. Yeah, I need you to kind of um, intercede for me, or not intercede. No. Yeah, that's right. good. I like intercede. Public school, let's go. <laughs> so I like intercede. Yeah, but yeah, y'all, y'all go read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Kind of meditate on it. See what it, you know, says in your life. You know, we're actually gonna start doing an after the podcast devotion. <laughs> after the podcast devotion, stay tuned. Where we after the after the outro. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, guys, that's all we had. I had the Summerton man. I hope y'all like that. Um. It really, I like mysteries like that. I like, yeah, I definitely like stuff like that. I'm not a big fan of unsolved mysteries. I like them to be solved because it's like, uh, I just have to open it. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So I feel like the fact that it got, it got shut down and was like unsolved kind of solves it. Kind of, yeah. It It adds to it. You said it without saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Kind of solves it for us. Right. So, yeah, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Shooting the Breeze, and we'll be back next week with another episode. I'm Cody. And I'm Sawyer. See you.